From MPB Think Radio, this is Creature Comforts, the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. If you travel the Mississippi highways this time of year, you're sure to see white-tailed deer just about every couple of miles. They're an essential part of Mississippi's wildlife landscape, and on the program today, we'll talk to William McKinley, who is the deer program coordinator for the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. We're talking deer this morning and want your questions and comments. Also, looking for any pet questions you have for Dr. Major. The number to call is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. Or email the show, animals at mpbonline.org. This is Creature Comforts from MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. It's the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. If you travel the Mississippi highways this time of year, you're sure to see white-tailed deer just about every couple of miles. They're an essential part of the Mississippi wildlife landscape. On the program today, we'll visit with William McKinley, who's the deer program coordinator for the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. So, yeah, we're talking deer this morning, and we want your questions and comments. And as always, we welcome your pet questions for Dr. Major and any general wildlife experiences that you'd like to share. Join the conversation with a phone call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 or send an email. It's animals at mpbonline.org. Reminder that if you ever miss part of Creature Comforts on Thursday, we have a repeat broadcast Saturday mornings at 6. So good morning. Hope everyone is doing well this morning. Good, good morning. morning. Good morning. Uh, Libby, um, I always like to start out by talking about some things coming up in at the museum, and we're entering the holiday season, so lots of uh, fun things to do, I imagine. What do you have for us? Yeah, the big Christmas deal coming up soon is December the 8th from 5 to 7. It's Cajun Christmas at the museum, which is perfect to um, celebrate back in, you can imagine, in the terrarium with the alligators. <laughs> so they're the featured animals at Cajun Christmas, and it's always lots of fun. And uh, there's uh, food and good times all over the building. And I'm going to be there signing copies of the Fanny Cook book. All right, very good. Fanny Cook's biography. So um, uh, December the 8th. Lots of fun. And then just a reminder, since I'm um, going to have out-of-town guests and people out of school, hopefully kids out of school, Tuesdays and Fridays at 10 a.m. every day there is a fish feeding, which is really a fun time. If you're going to go to the museum anyway, you ought to arrange to be there mm-hmm. at 10 a.m. on a Tuesday <clears throat> or a Friday or 2 o'clock on a Sunday. And it's, it's really fun to watch the, the fish eat. So remind us again uh, who Fanny Cook is. Okay, Fanny Cook was the founder of the department, what's now the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks, and the museum, and the Mississippi Ornithological Society, all kinds of things. Born back before the turn of the century, and she's a Mississippian that went to Washington and worked at the Smithsonian for a while, 
and found out, ooh, this is a cool thing, and found out that we didn't have game laws here, all kinds of stuff going on. So she came back to Mississippi and uh, went to work. In the 1920s, the 20s and 30s is when she really got things rolling. But she she um she worked until 58, and then she even wrote books after that. So she was pretty active, and um, I think it's a fun read. All right, and so you'll be signing copies of that at the uh, Cajun Christmas at the museum on December 8th. December 8th, yes. All right. Oh, and one more reminder: be the dinosaur, which has been a very popular exhibit. The dinosaurs leave December the 31st. All right. So it'd be a good idea. That's lots of reasons to stop by there during the um, next few weeks. Uh, We've got some phone calls to get to in just a minute. But first, we want to welcome again our guest, William McKinley. William, thanks for joining us this morning. I'm glad to be here. Uh, Give us a little idea of your background, uh, your your work at the uh, Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks, and then Maybe just uh, have you always been someone who who likes the great outdoors? I certainly have. Uh, I grew up in the outdoors, basically, with my dad. And uh, I've been with the department since 2001, uh, specifically working with white-tailed deer since 2003. And so I've got a fair number of years of experience. And Mississippi is blessed with an outstanding deer herd, uh, one of the best in the nation, if not the best in the nation. And I'm really proud to be able to work with that and the hunters that, and managers that we have across this state. Just to let you know, uh, I think a caller last week, uh, we there, something about deer came up, and he said, if you want to know anything about deer, you need to get William McKinley on the show. <laughs> so you have got some fans out there, and we appreciate you coming on because uh, I'm sure it's going to be a busy day. We do have some phone calls to get to, so let's start off first by going to Gene in Mobile. Good morning, Gene. Go ahead, please. Yes, sir. I need to talk to Dr. Major about uh, a little Boston Terrier I've got. It's to be three years old in March, and he has a, a, a knee problem. And I'm just curious as to uh, – I've heard people – my son's got a dog just like this, had to have surgery and stuff on that, and what his, what his thoughts are on those uh, knee problems on Boston Terriers. Tell me this. Is it just one knee or both knees? Well, well it's one right now. Yeah. <laughs> and is it a patella problem? I think my, according to my son had a dog just like it. He's had surgery on it a couple times, and he, he said his was knee problem. And they don't do it all the time. Right. But you so, work it around a little bit. He has to work it pretty good bit to be able to get to feel it. But when he runs sometimes or walks it, he'll have that sticking out, but he don't stick it out all the right. time. So it sounds so, like... I'm just curious as what we can do with that. Sounds like what you're talking about is a uh, luxating patella uh, right, kneecap. Right. And uh, a lot of times that kind of resolves on its own, at least temporarily, but it can continue to happen. And probably the only way to uh, really get good resolution of this would be to have surgery done and have it uh, correctly placed and and sutured. How how successful is that? I would say pretty good success. What happens if you don't do it? Uh, Probably... You'll get some deviation or some bending. How old is this dog? He'll be three in March. Okay. So probably it's, he's had most, probably most of his life at least some degree of this. So you can get some curvature of the tibia uh, because of the fact that the patella has luxated. Uh, but, you know, if you don't do anything, the dog probably manages it pretty well. But uh, to resolve it, it would require surgery to take care of it. Well, uh, no words. Uh, hell, I'm old myself. So I, I've got a lot of problems myself. So yes, sir. Maybe better off just let him go on about his business. 
as long as he's not in pain, I would say that uh, probably you uh, probably you can do that without any problem. Just uh, be aware that if it starts to become painful, uh, there may be need to have something done. Okay. All right, Gene, thanks for your call this morning. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We're looking for any pet questions you have for Dr. Major. And also we're talking about uh, deer with our guest, William McKinley, who is the deer program coordinator for the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. On to Louisville we go. Chad has called in today. Good morning, Chad. Go ahead. Hey, I've got a uh, question for Mr. McKinley. Um, work out in uh, the northwestern part of Knoxby County. We've been doing some a fair amount of hunting already this year, and uh, we're seeing the bucks chasing the does really, really early, and I was wondering if that affects the season uh, later on into January statistically. You'll see more buck activity when the weather is better, uh, and I mean better by cooler. But the does tend to come into season at the same time every year. So the cooler weather will make the bucks more active. They'll scrape a little more. uh, They'll make more rubs, and they will be chasing the does earlier. But the breeding won't actually occur in that part of the world until late December on most of them. Now, there's a six-week range, Chad. Uh, We found that in a lot of our studies. Uh, We do herd health evaluations practically statewide since the 80s. And we found that in that part of the world, January 1st is going to be the peak breeding time. So you're seeing bucks chase, but the does aren't aren't quite in season yet. Gotcha. Thank you, sir. All right. Thanks for your call, Chad. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Next, we've got uh, Joy from Aberdeen with looks like a, a question that we've gotten before, but uh, a common occurrence. Joy, go ahead, please. Um, I bought this uh, beagle at the furniture mark, and she's just precious. And as I was leaving the furniture market, this lady approached me, and she said, did you buy this puppy here? And I said, yeah. She told me all these negative things about a puppy she had bought there. Well, I didn't think anything about it, and we seen the vet one time, and then we're supposed to see her tomorrow, and she changed the appointment to Monday, getting the shots. I've only had her about two weeks, and um, she's not registered, but the person that um, had her gave me an envelope with the parents papers in it and the mother was 10 years old i didn't care about her being registered you know but the vet said the mother was 10 years old and i said well i noticed that well i've never had a puppy to eat fecal before and i'm retired i'm like the man that called him before me i'm in my golden years so i have time to watch her and her uh, bowel movements do not have a pattern because when I noticed this, uh, I thought, well, you know, she she won't have another bowel movement for till after she eats two or three hours. That's not true. She will have a bowel movement, and then she it was like if I'm training her to a pad, and if I get that, she'll have another bowel movement. Like I'm going to eat this, and um. It's been a game with us, but yes. do you think she has a vitamin deficiency, or do you think she was from a puppy meal? Well, you know, those things all may be true. Uh, it sounds like she probably did come from 
someone who uh, would uh, amazed that they bred this ten-year-old uh, female. But it is not unusual for puppies to eat their own poop or other dogs' poop. There are some things that you can do. A lot of it has to do with the fact that this dog probably was kenneled, uh, maybe with other puppies. Uh, when I say kennel in a crate or some some way, I don't know. But it can be corrected, and usually it does correct over time. There is a uh, powder that you can put in the dog's food called Forbid, F-O-R-B-I-D, and in some cases that helps. And then if you go online, there are all kind of remedies. Usually it uh, takes care of itself over time, but uh, try to distract the puppy if you can. And it sounds like you're doing a pretty good job of trying to pick it up before the puppy gets it, but sometimes I'm sure she beats you. So talk to your vet about Forbid or if there's any other product that they might have. Good luck to you. And uh, usually we see this more from pet shop puppies or from places where they keep the puppies uh, in kennels. So, All right. Uh, take care. Joy, thanks for the call. Let's take a quick break. When we get back, we'll continue visiting with our guest today, William McKinley, the Deer Program Coordinator for the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. So we're talking about deer, but also looking for your pet questions this morning. We've got some open phone lines. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven. 672-7464. Back with more after this. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. We're visiting today with William McKinley, who's the deer program coordinator for the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. So deer is on, uh, that's a bad pun, deer is on the menu. I shouldn't have said it that way, but we are talking about deer this morning and also looking for any kind of pet questions you have for us. Back to the phone lines we go. We start again in Clarksdale. Homer's called in today. Good morning, Homer. Hey, how you doing? Good. What's your question? Uh, this is for Mr. McKinley. I uh, used to wonder how did people hit deer. I, I drive a lot of highway. Uh, and I found out one night. I mean, I glimpsed this deer. He ran out. Yeah. And for me, and my question is, is it uh, to Mr. McKinley, does uh, do you know whether those deer horns that you put on vehicles actually work? Uh, and is there a is there a time when deer move a little bit more? Uh, I've been told they move more when it's colder. Homer, I'll address both of those questions. Um, thank you for calling in. And, you know... There's a lot of things on the market. What you're referring to, I think, are actually known as deer whistles. And I'm not going to get into any specifics on what product works and what doesn't. Uh, I will say that no product out there takes the place of paying attention and being alert when you're driving. Uh, A lot of products do not work, or they may work for a while, and then deer become accustomed to them just like we become accustomed to things. Uh, 
if you think back when the first vehicles probably came down the highway, uh, deer were probably terrified of them. So now it's a very common occurrence. So any kind of noisemaker, uh, people have learned that through trying to protect crops, through trying to do other things. So uh, the bottom line, you're not going to find anything that consistently works other than paying attention. Deer tend to be what's known as crepuscular. They move late in the afternoon right before dark and just after dark and early in the morning. They'll also move at any time, though, so don't don't say that's when they're most active, but we're coming up on the breeding season. Um, The breeding season is happening now in northwest Mississippi. It tends to be more mid to late December, early January in central Mississippi. There where you are in in Cahoma County, Uh, you should be near the, the peak breeding season right now. Uh, but during that time, deer may be moving at any time, and they kind of throw caution to the wind uh, during this this two- or three-week event. And we see a m- very high increased number of roadkill deer during this time frame. So right now is when every listener out there ought to be paying attention and looking. If you see one deer cross the road or you see a deer on the side of the road, there's probably going to be another. Uh, quite often deer are chasing one another this time of year. So one runs out, the other runs out just following the, the first deer. They, they're throwing caution to the wind. So especially from now through January, you want to be extra cautious on the roads. Uh, pay attention. Put your phone down. Uh, that alone is causing a lot of accidents, whether it's with deer or, or other, uh, just hitting another car. But Paying extra special attention right now. All right, Homer, thanks for the call. A quick follow-up on that, and I guess uh, maybe less a chance on an interstate, but certainly any state highway, as you mentioned, this time of year, just be extra uh, aware of the fact that the deer are out there, and then they might be kind of, and it's sort of like they might jump out at any any moment. They will. Uh, I I hit one a few years ago at 9.30 a.m. on a January morning, and it was... It was suddenly immediate. I mean, the deer hit the road and was there. And so it can happen at any time. Just be extra alert this time of year. And I'll even add, uh, if you're ever out riding your bike, say, in the, the central Mississippi area on the on, along the Natchez Trace, I know my friend and I a couple of times uh, have uh, we never hit the deer, obviously, but uh, it is kind of a, a little shock there when you're riding your bike along and all of a sudden you hear the rustling and this deer runs out in front of you. So uh, be uh, be on the lookout for them because, as, as William mentions, uh, the, the mating season is approaching and, uh, and uh, just be vigilant uh, through uh, the early part of next year. Uh, for any deer that you might encounter on the uh, on the roadways. Let's uh, continue on. Next, we've got Trudy, who's called in from uh, Jefferson County. Good morning, Trudy. Go ahead. Good morning. I have a question. Uh, I'm trying to raise chickens, and they're free-range, and I've got a red-tailed hawk <laughs> that is killing a chicken a day. And I was wondering if there's anything I can do to deter them. I know you can't shoot them. I think they're on the endangered species. I'm not sure. Do you have any suggestions? They're not an endangered species, but they're listed. They are protected very much so by federal and state law. So you definitely don't want to shoot them. And they're getting your mice and rats, too. Remember that. Or these must be pretty small. Are Are the chickens still small? 
Well, they're about half grown. And we may have some callers that, that have uh, done some things to help. But most people that I know with chickens have found between dogs, if 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 the hawks are the only things that have found them, they won't be the only things, has been my experience. And I had chickens for a long time. But... Uh, you need to find some way to protect them from dogs and from raccoons and possums and everybody else that might be out there, including hawks. And if you've got like a, a movable, it doesn't have to be anything expensive, any kind of a movable setup so that you can move it around your yard and your um, or whatever area you want them feeding in. That way they can they can have some protection. They'll they'll like it because they they understand that that when they're being hunted and Troy looks like he right. might have some more ideas well, it's, over it's, here. It's difficult to have free range chickens out, out in the country where there are, uh, game, uh, whether it's raccoons, uh, fox, uh, red tail hawk. But my suggestion would be to have, as Libby was saying, some sort of, uh, chicken yard, if you will. There are some that you can move to different areas of your yard. You can build those and have some sort of cover, in that chicken chicken coop, whatever, where they can get out. And I think you're right. I think probably the hawk would avoid that if they thought they were going to have to negotiate uh, to get in there. Yeah, you don't and, have to put much but, over it, even but, just a series of strings but a hawk, or a, a hawk, loose net. Yeah, yeah. A hawk does, not have to, hawk does not have to pick up that chicken. They can literally explode when the hawk hits it, and uh, they can feed on the ground. So even larger chickens can be fair game for a hawk. Okay, Trudy, appreciate your call. Uh, this is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We're visiting today with William McKinley, Deer Program Coordinator for the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. So any deer question you have for us, or a Dr. Major here ready to take some pet questions as well. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 Next we go to Yazoo City. John has called in today. Good morning, John. Hey, good morning. How's everybody? We're doing good. What do you have for us? Good. I'd, I'd like Doctor or Mr. McKinley to talk about um, albino or piebald deer that we that he may run across in the state. I know I've seen one before, and uh, I think there's one on display on the square in Flora, Mississippi. But do you run across many of those? Albino and piebald are two very different things. So an albino is is very rare, uh, just a few nationwide every year. That would be a oh. uh, an animal with no uh, color pigment whatsoever. It would be completely white. It would have pink hooves, a pink nose. Very rare. Uh, right. A piebald deer is one that has an excessive amount of white where it should be brown. Uh, sometimes they'll be almost all white, uh, but they'll still have a black nose and black hooves. In certain parts of the state, uh, I'll take Knoxby County area, for instance, we see a fairly high uh, preponderance of that. Uh, still not common. Uh, you'll see it. It is a genetic mutation. And right. it is usually that same gene that causes that deer to have an abnormal amount of white is usually so linked to, down. sir? It, it can get passed down then? Yes, it can, but it is a okay. recessive gene. So it's out there, um, 
but that same gene that is causing that deer to be piebald is linked to uh, misshaped organs, misshaped skeletal oh. structure, uh, increased or decreased immunity to other diseases, uh, rickets, uh, all type of problems these deer have. So, uh, by and large, some people look at them and say they should be protected, but they are actually a a, a weak genetic mutation in that herd. So uh, I didn't know that. Nah. Awesome. All right. Okay. Yeah, I've seen I've seen one piebald in my years hunting, and uh, I just didn't know much about them. But it's, it's it stands out in the woods for sure. They sure do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, John. Thanks for your call. Let's uh, press on. Next, we're going to go to uh, Scott, who's driving uh, this morning and has a question for us. Go ahead, Scott. Yeah, I'm not a hunter, but people will bring me deer periodically. And I want you to address chronic wasting disorder, prion diseases, and human encephalopathies from consumption of bad flesh. Certainly. Um Chronic wasting disease, commonly just abbreviated as CWD, is a disease that has already been found in 24 states and two Canadian provinces and and two foreign countries. Uh, we are testing for it here in Mississippi. We have not found it yet, but we have increased efforts in, in sampling statewide with a few focused areas of... Uh, you may have read in the news where recently uh, some people were charged with bringing deer in illegally from other states, from areas that have chronic waste and disease. So we have heightened sampling around those areas, but we're trying to sample all over. There's never been a documented case, Scott, of CWD transferring to humans. Uh, but that's not to say that it cannot. Um, the disease is a prion disease. It's not caused by a bacteria or a virus, uh, it's it's very different. It's caused by a mutated protein, and other type diseases have shown the ability to jump species barriers. So the Center for Disease Control recommends that you do not eat an animal that is infected with CWD, and that if you're hunting in an area where CWD is endemic, uh, areas in Wisconsin, for instance, or any of the other 23 states that have found it, uh, that you have your animal sampled and tested, rather, in that area before you consume that animal. But we're fortunate in, in here, as you said, that so far no cases here in Mississippi. So far we have not found it, but our biologists and, and officers are out there sampling. Uh, we're pulling a lot of samples this time of year. If you see one of our uh Department of Wildlife vehicles pulled over on the roadside. We'll get back to those uh, deer that are hit by vehicles. That's one of the common uh, animals we sample. So you may see one of our people out on the side of the road, on the side of I-55 or I-20 or any one of the smaller highways, and we may be out there pulling a sample. And uh, if you see us, that's what we're usually doing uh, when parked on the side of the road like that. So Okay. Scott, thanks for the call. Let's uh, take another quick break. When we get back, we'll continue visiting with our guest today, William McKinley, who's Deer Program Coordinator for the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. Dr. Major here, ready to take some pet questions, and we always like to hear general wildlife questions and observations as well. Got some open phone lines, so call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 We'll be back with more after this. One app is all you need. The MPB Public Media app. 
Find your favorite voices and shows all in one place. Morning Edition, Prairie Home Companion, Southern Remedy, This American Life, Here and Now, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, The Gestalt Gardener, Marketplace, Snap Judgment, All Things Considered, Mississippi Edition, Local, National, or International, One App Opens All of the Possibilities. The MPB Public Media App, free from the iTunes and Google Play stores. Welcome back. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Joining us today is William McKinley. He is the deer program coordinator for the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. So we've been talking about deer, looking for your pet questions, and uh, any kind of wildlife questions or observations you'd like to share with us. Give us a call because we've got some open phone lines right now at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven. Six seven two seven four six four. So, William, before the break, we talked a little bit about chronic wasting disease. What about uh, what are some other diseases that might affect uh, the deer population here in Mississippi? The most common deer disease that we see is hemorrhagic disease, uh, known locally by a lot of folks as blue tongue. But it is a it's a hemorrhaging disease. It's transmitted uh, by little midges, little gnats, same little gnats in, that bite us, and it's usually passed along in late summer. But people begin to see the effects of that more around August, uh, September, October, even into now. And we've had a, a fairly active year on, with that disease this year. Uh, it does kill a lot of deer statewide. We estimate somewhere between 5 and 10% annually of the herd and there'll be localized spots that won't be spread evenly over the state but we have had a lot of sick deer calls over the past few months we try to respond to as many as possible uh, although we are limited in manpower to get to everywhere but uh, we've taken a lot of deer to the lab we've confirmed hemorrhagic disease one of the strains already this year and got a, a lot more animals that are suspect of it so so uh, we've talked a little bit about uh, diseases that are affecting the deer population, but I think earlier you said overall we have a very healthy deer population here. That is correct. Overall, we estimate the herd is at near 1.5 million, which is one of the densest deer herds, if not the densest deer herd in the nation. Now, that number has been on a decline slightly, according to our numbers, over the past few years. And in some places of, of the state, they could have a few more deer. Other places, that decline was much needed in the state as deer were overpopulated in some places So, and still are in some places. So deer are not evenly distributed across the state of Mississippi. There are some areas that hold much higher densities than others. But overall, uh, the deer herd is in overall very good health. We have some disease issues we deal with, and that's why we're here as biologists in, in a deer program trying to find and help manage that herd. But... Uh, overall, a very healthy herd statewide. And again, uh, deer hunting not only provides uh, activities for humans, but it does help control the population. Absolutely. We uh, estimate our, we do a a hunter uh, estimate every year, a harvest estimate. And last year was lower than we've seen in several years, but we're still looking at uh, about 235,000 deer were harvested last year by licensed hunters. So figure that hunters that are under 16 or over 65 years of age don't have to get a license uh, or you don't have to have one on your own land as long as it's vested in your name. 
Bottom line, there's probably 250 to 275,000 animals deer being harvested every year. And, you know, venison is very important to our state, uh, very important. You figure the average deer is yielding over 25 pounds of meat per animal. And that's several million pounds of meat that venison that is being consumed by Mississippi families across the state. Very important. And very healthy meat. Very healthy meat. Um, so while we're on it talking about hunting, give us uh, an idea of uh, the dates for seasons and, and maybe just more basic information about hunting that you would want to share with us. Sure. We are right now, uh, the Saturday before Thanksgiving, which was November 18th, uh, gun season with, with dogs opened up. You can hunt with dogs or without. Uh, and it lasts through December 1st, which is tomorrow. Uh, on Saturday, our primitive weapon season will open up. And it will go on through the 15th. Then, uh, bottom line, deer season in one form or the other is open across most of the state until January 31st. And in our southeast zone uh, is open until February 15th. So a lot of opportunity. We have a, a very long and liberal season. You can harvest three bucks and three does over most of the state, three bucks and two does in that southeast region. So uh, we did reduce those bag limits uh, down from five does down to three this year and down from three does to two in the southeast zone this year. So, All right. And I guess that's just, to, again, you're responsible for managing a healthy herd, and so that would be something that you probably would revisit each year to see the limits or every couple of years? Every few years, every two to three years. And uh, it's hard to tell due to environmental impacts. Uh, last year, the season, we had a much lower harvest last year, but there were combination effects of that with a very heavy acorn crop. Deer don't move very well when they're very well fed. Uh, <laughs> it was very warm last winter, one of the warmest winters we had had on record. Uh, the deer were wearing a coat, a fur coat and a fat layer that prepared them for much colder temperatures. <laughs> and uh, when they're hot, they don't move a lot either. So... Uh, we faced a lot of uh, outside influence, environmental influence last year. So we never try to take one year and just tease things apart from that. We look more at trends. So that heavy acorn season creates some couch potato deers out there. <laughs> I guess what it did. <laughs> Next up, we've got uh, Kathleen from Osaka on the line. Good morning, Kathleen. Good morning, guys. I have a question this morning. Um, I had planted a large amount of Louisiana flag irises, I believe, or uh, purple, whatever. And um, I have pictures. They all came out beautiful. And I think something ate them all. Now, yes. do deer eat the rhizomes, or is it another critter i got to worry about? I've never known deer to dig up and eat the rhizomes of irises, but I will not say they won't. I know they'll dig up other tubers and eat them. Yeah, well, I've seen them eat the flower part and cut them off about two and a half, three feet high all mm -hmm. the way across the gully. I, I have seen, yeah, I've seen them dig bulbs but from behind my house, yes. Uh -huh. And it's it's interesting to watch and maddening at the same time because <laughs> they get that hoof, go, hoof going and they can um, dig right into the ground, get your bulbs. I just woke up one day and they were all gone. I, I said, now... <laughs> Somebody couldn't have stolen over 150 irises. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, Cute um, little family yeah. had fun out there one night, yeah. Yes, deer tend did. to 
uh, they do cause a lot of trouble in in the landscape, in gardens, in agriculture, and uh, and there are a few methods that I would recommend. A couple specifically, I would recommend in keeping them out. Uh, if you're looking at a garden, uh, an electric fence. A two-stage electric fence, one fence about four feet inside the other fence, not just two strands, but two separate sets of poles. I've been using that. Uh, yes, I, I grow a garden, and yes, I have deer trouble in my garden, too. <laughs> and I've had that work almost 100% effectively with the two fencing. The other technique that I found a lot of value in, and you can't go put a electric fence it's usually not practical around your lawn or around shrubbery. Uh, when you begin to see deer problems, if you will take some ground hot pepper uh, and soak it in water, that capsaicin, there's some products on the market that you can already buy or you can do it yourself by soaking it and then straining it and then spraying that every few days uh, on the plants that the deer are going to. Uh, it burns their mouth just like it does ours. So after a rain... That's more practical for a lawn setting, and it will make them leave it alone. They have a pretty good memory. If they bite it a couple of times and it hurts, they leave it alone. <laughs> I, I have a love-hate relationship with deer at my house. And <laughs> any given day, there may be 10 or 12 in the woods back behind the house. And I found a spray that works real well. It lasts for about three months. And uh, it's uh, one of them was a putrefacted egg yolk with rosemary oil in it to help it to stick. It didn't smell that bad, but it smelled bad enough. And uh, I have gotten another one that works pretty well, but you got to remember to do it. And uh, they they will dig up bulbs. You're absolutely right about that. And uh, they love roses, knockout roses, when they got the little uh, buds on them. They will love to just prune those back and uh, other plants as well. So when you're designing a landscape, uh, check to see what deer like and what they don't like. That helps a lot. But also one other factor is they can taste when something has been fertilized. <laughs> and they can taste that mineral content, and they will return to that well and keep eating that plant. So we fertilize things, whether it be our garden or our shrubbery, to make them grow better. And then in turn, it makes it taste better to the deer. So they end up passing by that native browse to eat that that you've put in your lawn. So it's a catch-22 there. And Very good. Um, let's move on. We've got uh, Sharon in Meridian on the line. Good morning, Sharon. Good morning. Um, I have a question regarding dogs. Um, on glucosamine and chondroitin, I've been using a product called Dosequin. Yes. Um, can I give them too much? Because I also have some called BioCell. It's, it's got a collagen along with those two other ingredients, and my dog is ninety pounds. You know, I would I would consider that don't overuse it, don't overdose it, and if it helps, I'd keep giving it. I'm not sure about the one you just mentioned last. The name of that is it something that you take? No, it's BioCell, and okay. I have a friend in Redskew okay. and she orders it from okay. somewhere, and I read the ingredients, and it's glucosamine and chondroitin. Well, I think it it's has some type of collagen in it. Some, yes, at some dosage, I think you probably should not exceed that simply because it's not going to help. Uh, but you can adjust the dosage based on how the dog is responding to that. Okay. Not every dog will respond to glucosamine, chondroitin, and uh, I'm sure you were talking about the collagen that's in there. Uh, some dogs will, I'd say probably 50%. It's kind of a 50, 50 thing. Uh, okay. So, 
whatever well, in works. To the Remedil or the generic Remedil and that, yes. there's really nothing else for arthritis on an older dog. You're probably doing the, about the best that you can, okay? Okay. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for the call, Sharon. Let's take one final break this hour. When we get back, we will wrap up the show. Today we're visiting with William McKinley, who is Deer Program Coordinator with the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. We're talking deer today with William McKinley, who's the deer program coordinator for the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. Uh, We've got a caller on the line. Uh, Kevin's called in from Gulfport today. Good morning, Kevin. Good morning. How are you? Good. What's your question? Uh, It's about a cat. I I have a 10 or 11-year-old Bingle, he's a healthy 21 pounds or so. He's wow. a big boy. And um, he seems to be suffering from what I would refer to as allergies. That's the best I can refer to it. His left eye is just constantly watering. He's sneezing all the time. I have um, I thought it was just kind of seasonal, but it's lasted for, I don't know, six or eight months now. And um, I've tried the, the, the children's Benadryl, the liquid Benadryl, but, of course, he foams the house up when you do that, and it's tough to get a pill down that rascal. So. Right. I was wondering what might uh, what might I look at? Yeah, a twenty one pound cat that doesn't want to have any medicine given is a real chore. <laughs> I've seen five pound cats that were also hard to do, so I can understand that. And Benadryl, you know, frankly, uh, lasts about eight hours max, and uh, I, I wouldn't keep doing it. I'm sure you've probably given that up as well. Yeah, no, I uh, don't do that. So much. Have you taken him into your vet? Uh, it, not re- not lately, yeah. not recently. I, I'd be concerned that there's some infection going on in that uh, tear duct, possibly. Is it just one eye mm-hmm. or both eyes? Yes, no, it's just the one. Yeah, it could be an infected tear duct. There may be some medication that could be given in uh, a shot that would help this. But I do think it would be wise to have him be sure that there's no underlying cause, uh, such as a growth or anything like that. I think you would see it. But uh, I think with that situation, best to get into your vet and let them check it, okay? All right. Thanks. I appreciate that. You're welcome. Thanks for the call, Kevin. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio, visiting today with William McKinley, the Deer Program Coordinator for the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. So, William, uh, let's talk a little bit about safety. That's obviously important when we talk about hunters and uh, hunting. So what, what are some safety guidelines and things that hunters need to keep in mind? Well, Kevin, we... we strongly encourage safety at the Mississippi Department of Wildlife. But I want to point out that while a lot of times the public may view hunting as a dangerous sport, it it can be dangerous. It certainly can, and accidents can happen. But when compared to other sports, uh, let's take golf, for instance. Uh, if you look at the numbers and the stats, hunting is actually ranked as a safer sport than golf certainly safer than football in the number of accidents and injuries that occur. Uh, So overall, it is a very safe sport. Now, it is a safe sport because of some regulations that are required, uh, some mandated type safety. Anyone hunting deer with a firearm or during the firearm season uh, must wear 500 square inches of blaze orange. 
That is a visibility. Deer see in a different color spectrum than we do. They can actually see blues much better than we can, but they cannot see oranges very well at all. It actually blends into green for Hmm. them. So we've often, you know, I know our officers run up on people almost daily that are adamant. They're not going to wear their orange because they because think. we told them they had to maybe but uh, yeah. <laughs> but they go out hunting in blue jeans and so they're actually defeating their own purpose there the 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 orange is for a safety aspect from other hunters the other is on hunting on our WMAs we mandate hunters use a safety harness and more accidents occur uh, when deer hunting due to tree stand failure uh, than through someone accidentally accidentally getting shot. So, you know, we stress trees grow. That stand leaning on against that tree, uh it, it grows every year. Uh metal can rust if you're leaving it out there. Wood deteriorates, uh parts break, sun deteriorates straps. You need to check that every year before you get in it and even more than once a year. Uh but overall we have a hunter safety program that Hunters get trained. You cannot buy hunting license and hunt in Mississippi. Well, if you were born after, I forget the exact year, but it was it was around the late 60s, early 70s. If your birth date is after that, you have to go to a mandatory hunter training safety course uh, that our agency uh, issues. We have hunter safety instructors scattered across the state, but you must participate in this and uh get a dose of safety before you go out into the woods. So we stress that very much. Be sure of a target and go out and have fun out there. Mm-hmm. Get get some high-quality venison and enjoy it. Uh, it's there for – It's this, the deer belong to the people of the state. So mm-hmm. I, I've not ever hunted deer. Um, how, how high up is usually a deer stand up in a tree? You know, I do most of my hunting off the ground okay. in a chair. So, but I will occasionally use a, a climbing stand to climb, or I may get in a ladder. But usually, fifteen feet, uh, fifteen sixteen feet is an average distance. And then the idea is you can see the the surroundings better to spot the deer. That is correct. You're you're elevated, so you're more out of the line of sight of the animal, and you have a better just by being higher, you have a better field of visibility. Okay. Um, let's see. Um, oh, um, I'm trying to figure what we've got. Our callers answered nearly I know, every we, question we on our so script. They were, here, so, so. they were so right on target today. Uh, so, yeah, um, if someone's on the side, one of you mentioned that uh, some of the, the vehicles might be on the side of the road uh, testing for the disease for the deer. Obviously, those would be in marked uh, vehicle, so someone would kind of know what was going on. Certainly, they would be in a Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks vehicle. Uh, we typically have an orange kit with us, and uh, we collect the sample there. Uh, we don't typically remove the deer from the side of the road, uh, so we we will take the samples we need, and then we send them off to labs out of state for testing. Uh, let me jump in real quick cause, okay. because that um, question with the cars being marked, that um, person, they didn't want to go on the air, but they had um, they said they were having problems with people doing illegal 
hunting on their lands. And I didn't know if you could talk about uh, maybe some of the penalties that people are unaware of, of, you know, if you get caught doing these, you know, illegal huntings. I know you said the primitive weapons are coming up. So if you get caught using a firearm during this, you know, a certain specific time or, you know, some of the different, is it a misdemeanor, a felony, you know? Uh, yes, they all of our citations are misdemeanors within that, but... Uh, they can be quite costly. Our class one citations, which would apply to anyone hunting at night, uh, are some other violations as well. They can be two to five thousand dollars. Wind you up with a five day stay or longer in the county jail, and you lose your ability to hunt for at least one year. Uh, hunting is now a right. We voted on that in this state a few years ago, and that right can be suspended during that time because of illegal activity. Uh, but yes, if anyone has sees a wildlife violation, if people are hunting on their land or they see any type of wildlife violation, we have an 800 number called uh, 1-800-BE-SMART. That is B-E-S-M-A-R-T, 1-800-BE-SMART, to report any wildlife violation that you see. And... Uh, That'll go pat straight into our radio room 24 hours a day. We have people that'll answer that call. All right. You don't have to put up with, with people no. on your land that you don't know. You don't want somebody back there shooting at night. The one thing you always get me was <clears throat> hunting over a baited field. That seems to me like that's cheating. <laughs> and that, <laughs> or, or lazy. It's like, I think, because to me, again, I'm not a hunter, but to me, part of the thrill is, you know, the chase and the thing. And, and to, to hunt over a baited field just seems like you're stacking the deck. <laughs> All right. That's going to end us up for today. Uh, Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. Funding provided in part by Wildlife Mississippi, a statewide organization celebrating its 20th year of conserving Mississippi's lands, waters, and wildlife and from contributions from listeners like you. Our show was produced today by Java Chapman, and our call screener was Michelle McAdoo. So for Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest William McKinley, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to stay tuned up next at 10. It's MPB's Season Pass. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts. It's heard only on MPB Think Radio.